through days of hurt and pain my heart cried all is vain i lost all my will to Good to be here. Thank you so much. Do I need to do? Oh, I need to put this. I hid that in my. Is that better? Okay. Thank you so much for having us with you today. Oh wow. Where do I start? Let me let me start here. Um, thank God for your preacher. You have a just a just a, a wonderful wonderful preacher that loves God. And it's just, it's just so obvious, and you, you don't realize really what you have until you don't have it, until you maybe travel somewhere, or, or uh, you get somebody to fill in, and you're like, oh man, I want my preacher back. But um, you, have, you, just have a, you just have such a great preacher, such a great church. Thank you for what you've done for us. We, we enjoy being here. Brother McMath, thank you for your friendship. Mrs. McMath, thank you. We appreciate y'all. We appreciate your example. Thank you so much for all you've done for us. I'm excited about preaching this morning. Um, I don't know 
very many of you very well, and I'll just I'll just say this: we're just we're just regular people. Um, God's called me to preach, and uh, I'm doing that. But we're just we're 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 Christians. We're people. We struggle with things, uh, but we have a we have a really good book, don't we? And we've got the Word of God, and and whatever is in here, we can trust. And uh, we've got a very good God. And he's so merciful, he's so loving towards us. And I, I just, I'm honored to be able to be here and, and preach this morning. It's uh, difficult to leave our church. And um, I'm, they're just about finishing up. Our service starts at 10.30 on Sunday mornings. And so it runs just about 11.30. And so they'll be finishing up here in just just a few minutes. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm okay being away, Pastor Matt, so I'm not saying it for that reason, but just as a pastor, your heart is just always, just always there. You just want to uh, pray that everything goes well. But as we get started here this morning, I am just excited to be here at Valley Bible Baptist Church in Española, New Mexico this morning. Just, just thrilled. That was a beautiful song. Thank you for singing that. Calvary did come through, and God came through in a big way. And, uh, you know, you've, you've heard, there's so much. I love preaching about the cross. I love everything that uh, we learned that Jesus did for us at the cross. I love statements like, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all come to Jesus the same way. Uh, my message this morning is not, not mostly intended to try to convince you to be saved this morning. I, I believe that probably a lot of people here this morning, you've already trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You, you know that heaven's your home. You know that you have eternal life when you die. You know your sins have been forgiven. But there may be someone here this morning, and you've not yet made the decision to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Listen, it's not just something that happens on accident. It's not just something that happens automatically. It is something that is a decision. When you realize just like me, that you're a sinner. The punishment for this sin is to die and go to a place that the Bible calls hell. You know, Jesus talked more about hell than he talked about heaven even. A very real place. When you realize you're a sinner like I am, when you realize that Jesus came to die on the cross to pay for your sin, and you will accept his payment on the cross as complete payment for your sin, you know, that's what you need to do to be saved. And if you have not yet trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior... I hope that as soon as this message is done, as soon as the invitation starts, that you'd come to an old-fashioned altar and you would trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now, that's not the, the main direction I wanted to go this morning with the message, but I want to make sure that you hear that before I say anything else this morning, because that is the most important thing. If you've never trusted Christ, that's the most important thing that you will ever, ever hear. Take your Bible and go to Jeremiah chapter 32, if you would. Jeremiah chapter 32, I'll give you about 10 minutes to find that. It's in your Old Testament, and if you would turn there. Let me introduce myself just, just briefly. I'm, my name is Dave Reyes, so my wife Jennifer, and she's, Jennifer, just raise your hand real high, there she is. And, uh, she's just such a gift from God, and we love doing things together. We are so glad that we get to spend this weekend together. And we, we've enjoyed our time together, and she goes on these uh, trips every once in a while. We, we, don't, we don't travel very much. We hardly ever preach out. I hardly ever preach out anywhere else. Um, but uh, we, we enjoy doing this together. We'll enjoy spending time together, and I'm so glad that God gave me a, 
a, an amazing godly woman for a wife and, and a helpmeet. And uh, I thank her for being here with me. I, we were married 22 years ago. And uh, going back a little further than that, uh, I uh, graduated back in 1992, just to kind of give you an idea of what uh, generation I fit in. Okay, just, just so you understand that just a little bit. I was called to preach when I was 10 years old. A missionary from um, Peru, missionary Tom Pace, some of you may know him. He was preaching a missions conference, and during the invitation time, I just felt God in my, in my heart just convicting me so strongly. And that night I surrendered to preach. I didn't know what I was going to do. I thought maybe God was going to have me be a missionary because I was called to preach at a missions conference. I didn't know. But I yielded my, yielded my will to God and struggled with it a little bit as I went through my teenage years. But God got me where he wanted to me to be. And then we started New Heights Baptist Church 16 years ago in Albuquerque. And God's blessed. And we, we're just doing the same thing you're doing. We're working to reach people with the gospel. We're working to teach Christians how to grow and be faithful and disciple uh, Christians and helping, helping them to grow, trying to stay faithful to the Lord all the time. And that's, that's what we're doing. So we're, we, are, we are together uh, in the kingdom of God. We're serving the same Lord and trying to do the same thing that you're trying to accomplish here. And it's so good to see what you're doing here. I, we, we came on the property. I remember the first time we came here, we, we went into the old auditorium, Brother McMath, and just enjoyed the service there. And then we came back and saw what God has provided for you here. And God's got big plans for you. God's got a great future for you. And I'm excited what's going to happen. All right, Jeremiah chapter 32. Look at verse number one. We'll read just a few of these verses together and then we'll pray. Jeremiah 32, verse one. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. I believe that's the same person as Nebuchadnezzar. For then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the prison, which was in the king of Judah's house. I'm going to stop and comment a little bit as we go through here. So Jeremiah is the prophet. He's the man of God. He's the one that's delivering the message of God to the people of God. He also delivers a message to the king, in this case Zedekiah, who's a wicked king, at the same time, the nation of Babylon, this would be the current area where Iraq would be, just to kind of get an idea where that would be. Uh, Baghdad would be fairly close to this old nation of, of Babylon. Uh, this nation of Babylon has surrounded Jerusalem. That's what the word besieged means. It means they've surrounded Jerusalem so the people can't go in, people can't go out. They're, it's an embargo. They're cutting off their trade. They can't buy. They can't sell. And so they're in a very difficult situation. If you look at verse number, oh, and, and Jeremiah has been thrown into prison. And verse number three gives us the reason for that. For or because Zedekiah, king of Judah, had shut him up, saying, Wherefore dost thou prophesy and say, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape out of the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon, and shall speak with him mouth to mouth, and his eyes shall behold his eyes. And he shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon. This is still Jeremiah talking. This is what he said to the king. And he shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon, and there shall he be until I visit him, saith the Lord. Though ye fight with the Chaldeans, ye shall not prosper. So that's the message 
that Jeremiah the prophet delivered to the king. King, you are going to be captured. Your kingdom is going to come to an end. You're going to be taken as a, as a prisoner into Babylon. You're going to see the king of Babylon face to face. And your kingdom is going to fall. How many of us, if we were the king, that's the news we wanted to hear today? That's what we wanted the preacher to tell us today. And we wanted the preacher to stand up in front of us and say, Thus saith the Lord, you're in trouble because you've been sinning. I mean, that's not what we want to hear really, right? That's what King Zedekiah heard. The king gets mad. He throws Jeremiah into the prison. And in verse number 6, Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Behold, Hanamiel, the son of Shalem, thine uncle, shall come unto thee. Let's put that relationship together there, okay? So uh, God says, Hanamiel, the son of Shalem, thine uncle. Hanamiel is Jeremiah's cousin. Just putting that relationship into perspective. Does anybody else, you get confused on those relationship things? I do, and I, I call the wrong people the wrong thing, especially at a family reunion and get in trouble and get people mad at me. But we, we've got that clear now. So, so now the cousin, behold, Hanamiel, the son of Shalom, thine uncle, shall come unto thee, saying, this is what your cousin's going to come tell you. This is God telling Jeremiah this is going to happen. Your cousin's going to come say, Buy thee my field that is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is thine to buy it. In verse 8, So Hanamiel, mine uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison according to the word of the Lord. Just like God said. God said my cousin was going to come tell me something. My cousin was going to come tell me by this, by this field. God told me that was going to happen. And then, then just like God told me that it was going to happen, it happened. And Hannah will come. And he says in verse number 8, By my field, I pray thee, that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is thine. So we're talking about a field that's not in the city of Jerusalem. There's a field outside of the walls of Jerusalem in the country of Benjamin, not that far off, but far away that it's not in the city. He said, come and buy this field for the right of inheritance is thine and the redemption is thine. Buy it for thyself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. We're going to pray and I want to kind of go through this story and I want to challenge you about something that will really make a difference in your life, if you will listen. Father, I pray that you would listen. I'm sorry, that you would hear this morning. And I pray that you would answer our prayers this morning. And I pray that you would open our hearts. And, and Lord, as I've been praying, I pray that you would, you would help each and every one of us to go all in serving you today. Lord, I pray that you'd help each and every one of us to make that next decision, that next commitment that you have for us to make. And Lord, I pray that each one of us would be like Jeremiah, and we would buy that field, the one that you have for us. And Lord, I pray that you'd help each one of us this morning to understand you have a plan for us. You've got a plan. You've got a purpose. You have a will. And I pray that each one of us would accept that and step into it today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. My challenge to you today is to buy the field. To buy the field. The nation of Israel had chosen to serve false gods instead of Jehovah. 
I took a picture yesterday. We, were, we got to go out to eat. I went with Brother McMath. And, and, and we, we have this in New, all over New Mexico. We have these. In Albuquerque, we have these. You have them here. But it just, it just jumped out at me yesterday at the restaurant. There was a, there was a little, you call them a nicho, right? Carved into the wall. Is that the right word for that? Okay. A little carved into the wall. And there's a statue in there. And it's made out of a, it was made out of a, a tree branch. And it had some other tree branches stuck into it. And it was, a, it was like a statue supposed to be of like a saint or something like that. Well, the Bible talks about that in, in Psalms. I just read it recently about how we, we take a stick, we'll take a tree and cut it down and, and uh, take part of the tree and cook our breakfast under the fire and take part of the tree and build our house with it and take part of the tree and make an idol out of it and worship that idol. And that's what the, kin, the children of Israel did. And they had a real God. They had a real God that took them out of Egypt and, and fed them through the wilderness and provided all of everything for them, did all these miracles for them, got them through the Red Sea and got them even, even across the Jordan River. And, and um, an amazing God that they have, but they had left God and they started worshiping these idols and these false gods. And because of that, God sent the army of Babylon to destroy Jerusalem as punishment for their false god worship. And this is when God comes to Jeremiah and he says, Jeremiah, go tell King Zedekiah that Jerusalem is about to be destroyed because of your worshiping of these false gods. You're worshiping Molech and you're worshiping Ashtaroth. And, and, and these false gods, they, these were idols, but it was wicked. They got to the point where they were even sacrificing their own children in the altars to these false gods. It was a horrible, horrible thing. Jeremiah went and told the king what was going to happen. And he said, the king of Babylon is going to come. He's going to destroy the, the, the city of Jerusalem. He's going to take people captive and King, you will be taken captive also. King Zedekiah gets so mad, he throws Jeremiah in prison. And while Jeremiah is in prison, his cousin, Hanamiel, came to visit him. Does anybody else have a cousin named Hanamiel? All right, not, not here. Well, Hanamiel had a strange request. Here was his request. Hey, Jeremiah, you know how you talk to your cousin? You're like, maybe, maybe, maybe good friends... Maybe you used to do stuff together when you were younger. And, and just picture that. Here's, here's Hannah Meal. He's, he's talking to Jeremiah. You know that field that my family owns uh, a ways out of town? And Jeremiah says, yeah, I, I remember that field. We used to play there when we were young. And Hannah Meal says, yeah, that's, that's the one. Well, listen, Jeremiah, it's up for sale. Would you like to buy it? Now, if you've ever played Monopoly, you know the answer to that question. Yes, I'll buy it, Right? How many of you like Monopoly? You like Monopoly. How many of you despise Monopoly? You'll never play it ever again in your life if you have, a, if you have the choice. Well, when you're playing Monopoly, you, you, you roll your dice, you move your little thing around. If you land on it, you get a chance to buy it as long as you've got enough money. And you know the answer. You buy it because the more properties you buy, the, 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 the better you do in that game. Now, Jeremiah's situation is a bit different here. But his cousin says, do you want to buy the property? Jeremiah's decision wasn't quite as easy as playing the game of Monopoly. Why? Well, let's think about this. Jeremiah's in jail. He's really, he can't go see the property. He's in a position where uh, he doesn't even understand why he's in jail. The king put him there. The king's mad at him. You know, I guess the only thing worse than the king putting you in jail would be the king killing you or maybe the king torturing you and then killing you. But Jeremiah's in a bad situation. He's in jail. It's not so easy to buy the field whenever you're in jail. There's a lot of questions that might come up. 
What am I going to do with a field if I'm in jail? What good is that to me? Not only was Jeremiah in jail, but the land that the field, where the field was, was occupied by the enemy. The Babylonians had surrounded Jerusalem, and the field where the Hanamiel is talking about is under the occupation of the Babylonians. What good is buying a field going to do me if the enemy owns it? Okay, Hanamiel, I see what you're trying to do here. You're trying to sell me some ocean from property in Arizona. I, I see what you're doing here. I, I see what's happening here. You are, I don't know that that's what, what's happening because I don't think that's the, the problem here. But I, can, can't you see how Jeremiah could think, I'm in jail. There's no purpose in me buying a field. And if I did buy the field, what good would it be? And then I could just imagine Jeremiah thinking, God, why would you even put this as an opportunity? God, why would you give me an opportunity to buy a field that I can't go see, that I can't even own, because if I buy it, I'll give somebody the money for it. I still can't have it because the Babylonians are there. The enemy's living on the land. And God had already told Jeremiah that the enemy was going to conquer Jerusalem and take the people of slaves. What is it? What's the point in it? In me investing my money, my life, into buying this land when I know the enemy is going to destroy our city anyway? Why would he want to buy the land that the enemy owned? Can't you imagine? Yeah, sure. I can't wait to get out of this prison and build a log cabin on that field. <laughs> right in the middle, middle of enemy territory. If you ladies love come softly, people, you know, you watch, you watch those, you read those books. That's kind of what this sounds like. You know, somebody builds a cabin, somebody dies, and somebody falls in love. and just kind of keeps moving on here. You, you, okay, I'm talking to the wrong, wrong audience here. You're like, I don't even, I don't watch those. Jeremiah was faced with a difficult decision. He had an opportunity. Now listen to this. This is key. He had an opportunity to make an investment into his own future. He wasn't just buying a land. wasn't just buying a field. But he's making, possibly making an investment. If he bought the field, it would be his. But his future was really uncertain. Would he ever get out of prison and actually see the field? Would, what good would it do to buy a field if the enemy's already living there? So, so there's this, this uncertain future. And God says, your cousin's going to come. He's going to offer you this field, and you need to buy this field. And Jeremiah's thinking, okay, so I have an opportunity, but this opportunity is so uncertain. Have you ever felt like the future is so uncertain? I was 10 years old, and I was sitting right here. It's a different auditorium, but I would have been sitting right there when, when Brother Pace, the missionary to Peru, was preaching, and God worked in my heart, and God made it so clear to me that I was supposed to surrender to preach, and I came forward. I came to the altar there. Nobody met me at the altar, and I thought, okay, maybe that's it. I went back to my seat, and God still just kept working on me and just, and just convicting me. So I, I came back up to the altar. You ever, ever gone to the altar twice in one service? I came back up to the altar. And I, I got the attention of the man that was standing there. I said, God's calling me to preach. And I was 10 years old. When you're 10 years old, you don't know nothing about nothing. Anything about nothing. Nothing about anything. And so I, I, was, I, was, I didn't know where God was going to take me with that. I just, I just knew God said you need to do this. And, and I just said yes. His future was really uncertain. You know, in this too, buying the field was a big commitment. 
he couldn't go back on his decision once he made it. If he gave the money to his cousin, he couldn't think about it later and say, you know what, cousin, I'm changing my mind. I want my money back. You take your field back. No, this is, this is a big commitment. Once he bought the field, he was stuck with it. What if it didn't turn out to be as good of a field as, as they told him it was? I don't know if you're seeing any parallels here. If you're a young person here today, they may have told you that if you wait for God's will for your life to marry the right person, you're going to like that better than anything else. They may have told you this, everyone in the will of God likes it. I believe that's true. First person I heard say that was Pastor Gordon Rogers. He's a pastor in Pueblo, Colorado now. Doing a great job there. He was, uh, he was the assistant pastor in the church where I was at. He taught devotions in our Christian school. And he said, every, now let's just think about this statement. Everyone in the will of God likes it. How is that true? Well, it's because God puts you where he wants you to be. But what if it didn't turn out to be so good? What if it doesn't turn out to be so good if I keep myself pure until I'm married? They, they've all told me I'm supposed to, but that's a big commitment. What if it doesn't turn out so good? What if it doesn't turn out so good for me to say, God, I'll serve you any way you want me to serve you, and I'll just dedicate my life to you, and I'll give my life to you to, to do whatever you want me to do. What if that doesn't turn out so good? I was faced with that. I was making a decision to go to, whether I was going to go to Bible college or, or whether I was going to go to state university. And, and uh, if you've ever made, tried to make a decision like that, you, you feel pressure from all different sides. I knew God wanted me to, 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 to go to Bible college and be a preacher because he'd called me to preach back when I was younger. Oh, but my family, um, uncles and aunts and, and people didn't, didn't think that was such a good idea. And they'd, they'd say things like, well, what if, what if, basically, God doesn't take care of your needs? What if you get out there to be a, to be a preacher and, and, uh, and uh, you, you, you go hungry? You ought, you, ought to, you ought to get a career first and, and you ought to do this first. And, and I just remember thinking everybody in the will of God likes it. I remember the conviction in my heart when God had called me to preach. But we have those questions. What am, what am I going to do? What, what am I going to do if I get there and it doesn't turn out as good as I thought it ought to be? What do I do if I commit myself to serving God and he lets me down? You know, John, well, there's, there's one more. What, what, uh, he would have to sacrifice his own money if he wanted the field. So I've got this opportunity for the future, and, and, and God wants me to do this. I've got this. I've got this opportunity. It doesn't make sense. I'm in jail. The enemy owns the property. The enemy owns the field right now. And if I want it, I'm going to have to invest my own money into it. I'm going to have to make an investment of my own self if I am going to go that direction. Nobody was going to buy it for him. I want to challenge you this morning, and we'll talk more about this here in a moment, but can, can you, can, I want to make this personal. God has a plan for your life. Every one of you, whether you're 13 years old or you're 113 years old, any 113-year-olds in here today, regardless of how young you are, regardless of how old you are, listen to this, God has a plan for you. God has a plan for your life, and he's offering it to you. And you have to make a decision, do I want to buy that field? It may not make sense what God has for me. 
It may, it may be confusing. It may not be something I even want to do at this point in my life. And it may not be something that I want to invest my time in preparing for. It may be a big commitment that I don't know that I'm ready to, to do. But, but listen to this. If God's got a field for you, if God's got a plan for you, that is the place you need to go because that is the only place where you will fulfill your potential. That's where you become the person that God made you to be. There's a man named John Patton. He was a missionary. He was a missionary in a place, we would call it the South Pacific. And it was at a time when the people living on the islands where he was going were still headhunters. They were cannibals. He made a difficult decision. At the age of 33 years old, he went as a missionary to an island inhabited by thousands of cannibals. The first year, both his wife and his newborn son died where they were on this mission field. He dug two graves with his own hands and buried them by the house that he had built. And John Patton served alone on this island for the next four years. He eventually got married again and took his wife to another island, another smaller island, to begin reaching people there. Now, not only were the natives here cannibals, but they practiced something called widow sacrifice. And that was this. If a man died, they would take his widow and offer her as a sacrifice along with burying the man. And the reason was so they could serve their husbands in the next world. It was, it was, just, it was just a pagan, pagan mess of a religion. He was getting ready to go back from England, I think it was England, back to was Europe, back to, this, back to this other smaller island. An older man, I think this was in a meeting that's actually happened, he, he told him not to go. He said, John Patton, if you go, you'll be eaten by cannibals. I don't know that I would have had the courage to say this or I would have said this, but here's what John Patton told that man. He said, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now. And your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. See, I told you I don't know that I could have said that. But this is what he's telling him. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus Christ, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. He had a very difficult decision to make. Do I, do I go to this island? My, my, my child, my wife both died there. I was remarried. And, and now do I go back to this island and potentially face hardship again? Do I buy the field? Do I go all in for God even though maybe the odds are stacked against me? Even, even though it may not seem like the right thing to do, maybe it may not seem like the popular thing to do. He went back and he reached many people. He more than 12,000 cannibals to Christ. He sent 133 of them as teachers and preachers to other islands. Wow, what, what an amazing story. Why? Because John Patton bought the field. John Patton said, God, I'm, I'm all in. John Patton, he didn't say it this way, but this is what he did. He took out a checkbook and he wrote the to God and he signed the bottom of it with his name, but he left the amount empty and he said, God, you fill out the amount of my life that you want me to spend for you. 
Have you ever given somebody a blank check? Do you even know what a check is? All right? How many of you? Never mind. It's like, I pay online. I use Apple Pay or whatever it is. The blank check is me saying, God, I will go wherever you want me to go. I will do whatever you want me to do. I will live my life the way you want me to live my life because I believe you have your best in mind. John Patton also said this, something along these lines. I don't believe anything can happen to me unless it's for my good or God's glory. And when you realize that that is the case, I can go all in for God. I can serve him knowing that either it will be for my good or it will be for his glory. If it's not for my good, it's for his glory. And I can serve him with all the faith knowing that God will receive glory from it. D.L. Moody said this. You've probably heard this before. The world has yet to see what God can do with one man wholly dedicated to him. By God's grace, I'll be that man. Oh, I want that. I would love, you hear about D.L. Moody, you hear about what God did through him and, and through other people like that, and you think, God, I want to do that. God, if you will let me serve you, I would, I would, I would love to serve you. I'd love to buy the field. Buying the field is when you give your life completely to God to use the way he wants. I remember I was at a big preacher's conference, thousands of preachers were there, and I remember the night, it was in March, and it was, I don't know how many years ago, we're probably talking maybe uh, uh, 10 years ago now, maybe 11, 12 years ago now. I was sitting up in the balcony, and as I looked down on the platform, my sister and her husband and their young family came out on the platform, and they announced that they would be moving to Africa as missionaries, that they were leaving everything behind, that they would be moving to Africa, and I remember being excited for them and thrilled for them, but my heart's sinking all at the same time. You've experienced that. I remember my brother deciding to go to Chile as a missionary. You know my brother, many of you, Steve Reyes, and, and they're there now and serving in Chile. You know, God called me to preach when I was 10 years old, and I went to the altar and I surrendered to him. Let me tell you something. That night at the altar, I didn't buy the field. I surrendered to preach, and I, I knew God wanted me to do that, but I didn't buy the field that night. I wanted to live for God, and I wanted to do right, but as I grew and as I got older through my teenage years, I struggled with some things. I struggled with some bad friends. Those bad friends introduced me to some bad music, and I struggled with that. As a 17-year-old, I struggled with, am I really going to serve God? And I, and I instead of going to Bible college, I, I went to state school and I began studying to be a, an, an engineer, taking math classes and chemistry classes. Let me tell you, I've never been more miserable in my life than I was that year as I was fighting God. Because I hadn't bought the field. I had, when I was young, I had surrendered to preach, but 17 came I didn't buy the field until I was 18 years old. And here's the day that I could say I, I bought that field. I sat in the passenger seat of a, oh, I think it was an F, what was it? It was, it was, a, it was a Ford Club wagon. I don't remember what that was. It was like a 1982 blue and silver Ford, eight-passenger van. I was sitting in the passenger seat. My sister was behind me, Brother Gordon Rogers sitting in the driver's seat. And we pulled away from my house. And my parents... And my little brother were there. And me and my sister were both in the van. And we were driving off to Bible college. That's the day I bought the field. That's the day where I said, God,
It hurts so bad. But I want to serve you more than anything else in this life. And God, I'm willing. I want to buy the field. I don't know what you have for me. It doesn't make any sense at all. Why would somebody from New Mexico go up to Chicago? (laughs) That's insane. It's cold up there. They're mean up there. They're not friendly up there. God, why would you have me do this? And that's the day I I can tell you I, I bought the field. I decided, God, wherever you have me to go, I'll go. God, are you... Called me to be a preacher. I'll go anywhere you want me to go. Amazingly enough, God, through a series of events, led me back to my hometown where we're reaching people with the gospel. There's a man named David in the Bible. He bought the field when he risked his life to fight Goliath. He looked at an entire army of men that were afraid to trust God to win the battle. He stepped up. He said, is there not a cause? I'm just a kid. I'm supposed to be watching my dad's sheep, but if nobody else is going to step up and fight this giant, I'll fight the giant. I'm all in. I'm taking the experience God allowed me to have, killing that lion, killing that bear. And I'm going to face that Philistine with the gifts God has given me. And I'm all in. I'm buying the field. The world is full of miserable people. They're living for themselves. They don't want to buy the field because they don't want to miss out on anything. They don't want to buy the field because they don't want someone else telling them what to do. They don't want to buy the field because they already have their life planned out. They don't want anything messing up their plans. Can I tell you this? God's plans are better than any of our plans. Why? Listen, he made you. He made you for a certain purpose. And he knows the future. The one who knows the future can get you where you need to be if you'll trust his plan. If you don't, you'll be miserable. There's some of us that have been sitting on the sidelines for long enough. It's time to find out what God can do through you. Have you ever been the little guy on a basketball team? Anybody done that, Caleb? Were you ever the little guy on the You were never the little guy on the basketball team. I was the little guy on the basketball team. We had a school just like your school. And I started playing basketball when I was sixth grade. We had probably eight, ten people on the team. They needed everybody they could get. And I, I was sixth grade. 12 years old, and I got to be on the basketball team. Your team is doing really bad. I'm I'm in sixth grade. Five guys are out on the court playing, and the basketball coach, he he needs somebody else. Maybe one of the guys gets in foul trouble. Is that you, Caleb? No? All right. One of the guys, who else is on the basketball team here? Just who else? Raise your hand if that's you. Okay. All right. uh, So you get in foul trouble. The coach looks at the, can you picture this? You've got these folding chairs right here because this is where the team is sitting. And your coach is standing here. One of you gets in foul trouble. And the coach looks over these five empty chairs. He looks back out there. He's like, what am I going to do? And he looks at the sixth and the seventh chair. And you're sitting in the sixth and the seventh chair. He looks at you. And he looks away thinking there's got to be a better option here. There's got to be something else here. And, and I remember sitting here as a, as a sixth grader. And I was sitting on, on, on the end here, and I, was, I could still picture the gym. And the coach would look down, and there was a guy between me and the coach, and I'd lean backwards like that and kind of try to hide behind the guy next to me. I didn't want him to put me in. Why? I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to play basketball. The coach would say, stand there. And I stood there. He said, guard this guy. I'd guard that guy. Pastor Matthew, you coach the boys, don't you? Why is it that whenever you're playing a team and you get right towards the end, the coach picks you, the, the sixth grader, and he puts you in 
right? You don't know what you're doing, right? He puts you in there, and he says, now foul him, foul him, <laughs> foul him. Why? He's trying to stop the clock. I understand that. I went to Christian school just like yours. My coach put me in. He said, foul him. What am I supposed to do? Foul him. And I'm like, but I don't want to get an attention. If I hit him, I'll be in trouble. That's breaking the rules. I was the little guy. You ever been the little guy? Instead of hiding from the great opportunities that God has for you, you got to be like that kid on the bench. The coach looks over here. He needs to put somebody in. And the kid's on the bench. He's like, I want to play. <laughs> I want to play. I just want to play. And he sees the coach looking over. Put me in, coach. Put me in, coach. Put me in, coach. Put... Okay, the coach like, sit down. Sit. No, wait, wait. That's who I want to be. When God looks at the bench, I know we don't have a bench, but when God looks and he says, who can I put in? Who is it that I, that I can put in? Who is it that would want to do my will? Who is it that I can trust to, to take the message to the people? Who is it that I can trust to share the gospel with his neighbor? Who is it that I can trust to be a godly husband or a godly wife or, or, or a Christian school teacher or missionary? Who is it that I can trust for that? And God looks over here, which, which one are you? are you? Are you like I was in sixth grade and you're hiding behind the guy next to you? Oh God, please don't look at me. God, don't look at me. I got my own plans. I want to do my own thing. Or are you like the kid that's going, play me, play me, play me, play me. I want to challenge you this morning to be the one that says, I want to buy the field. When I get out there and play, I'm going to leave it all out on the court. I'm going to go play my hardest. I'm going to put my heart into it. I'm going to give it everything I got as I'm playing basketball. And whenever I'm serving God, I'm going to put my heart into it. I'm going to give it everything I got. I'm going to leave it all out on the court. Or somebody say this, I'd rather burn out than rust out. It's harder to do than say. I'll tell you that. I want to convince you this morning to go all in for God. There's two kinds of people who get into swimming pools. Some of you, you like little, little, little toe, right? Just put the little toe in, woo! You put your little toe in, and then maybe, maybe you well, put the rest of your foot in. You get your other foot in. It takes you 20 minutes to get into the swimming pool. It's like, it's like slow torture. I'd rather die than, oh! And some of you are just, cowabunga! You know the cannonball people? God's looking for cannonball people. God's looking for someone to say, God, I don't understand it. I'm in jail. The, the other, don't, not, not from, hopefully you're not in jail, but I'm in jail. The people are, I don't understand this. The enemy owns the land. It doesn't make any sense. I'm going to have to invest a whole lot into this thing. It's on my own money. It's my own time. It doesn't make any sense to me, but God, I'm going to go all in. I'm going to buy the field. Stop testing the Christian life. Just jump in all the way. Make a splash so big that you soak everyone around you. You might be like Jeremiah, and right now you're in a frustrating, confusing place. He was in prison. Teenagers, you might not understand your parents. Adults, maybe you just had a bad experience with a relationship. Maybe a Christian leader let you down, disappointed you. 
Just go ahead and buy the field. Spend what little you have on the amazing future God has for you. Give God your five little loaves and your two little fish and let Him do a miracle in your life. There's a preacher in Romania named Richard Wormbrandt. He bought the field during World War II. He chose to preach the truth instead of yielding to what he called the unholy demands of communism. Oh, we need to do that today still. He was arrested. He was tortured. He was beaten. He was abused. His wife was also arrested and put into a work camp. Their nine-year-old son was left without parents. He was left homeless because of that. Richard Wormbrandt's wife was released from, and the government lied and told her that her husband had died in prison. After eight and a half years of torture, Pastor Wormbrandt was released, and he was commanded to never preach again. And it wasn't long until he was arrested again for preaching. Listen, he was all in for God. He put God's will above his own. He bought the field. God knows that the field he wants you to buy, this is huge, you got to get this, is filled with treasures. He may not show you the treasures until after you buy the field, but they're there. What's in the field that God has for you? Young person, an amazing marriage. Ladies, the man of your dreams. Uh, parents, maybe children that love and respect you. A happy home. Maybe adventure. Maybe answered prayers. Maybe a fulfilled life. Contentment, satisfaction, true love, a meaningful life. And you think, that's all fairy tale stuff. No, that's what happens when you buy the field. It's just different than maybe what you're picturing right now. God has a field for you, and the best decision you'll ever make is to buy the field. No matter how much it costs you, just buy the field. Matthew 13, 44, the Bible says this again, The kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth, and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Listen, it may cost Young people may cost you a scholarship. That's happened to a lot of people. They've chosen the will of God over a scholarship. Let me tell you from experience, it's worth it. It may cost you some time. It may cost you everything you have. The treasure is far greater than the cost. Listen, buy the field. Go all in for God. Stop living half in and half out. God wants all of you. He wants your body. He wants your mind. He wants your future. And God won't disappoint you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He loves you more than you love yourself. He knows your future. Listen, buy the field. Buy the field. Would you look at one more verse? We're done. Jeremiah 32, 9. Jeremiah 32, 9. I know you closed your Bibles because it's been a long time. Go back there just for a moment. Jeremiah 32, verse 9. Look what he says. And I bought the field. God said, hey, Hannah, Hannah Mill's going to come. He's going to offer you this field. It's not going to make sense. It's not going it, it, to, you can't even get it right now. It's something for the future. It's going to cost you personally. But buy the field. And, and he says, I bought the field of Hannah Meal, my uncle's son, that was an Anathoth. If you look at chapter 32, verse 15, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. 
Look, he bought a field not knowing what he was getting. Even though it didn't make a lot of sense, he just said, God, I'm all in. I'm all in. Eventually, they got the land back, and Jeremiah had the field. 32 verse 27 is just a great verse to end on. And God says this to Jeremiah. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? I don't know where you are in your Christian life right now. But I promise you, God's got something big for you in the future. If you would simply buy the field. You just simply say, God, I'll take it. I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. I may not even like what I'm hearing right now, what my parents are telling me, what my preacher's telling me. But I'm just going to go by faith, and I'm just going to say yes. I'm just going to buy that field. Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts this morning. Lord, I pray that each of our hearts would be open and soft and yielded to you. Every person here has something that they are probably struggling with that has to do with, am I going to do what God wants me to do or not? And Lord, I pray that each one of us here today would just say yes.